This episode is brought to you by Chevron, the human energy company. This is Podico Energy. I'm Josh Siegel. The 118th Congress begins in a little under five weeks, and one of the big things lawmakers will have on their mind is the Farm Bill. The size and provisions of that law are renewed every five years, and it has a major impact on America's farming practices and farmers' livelihoods. Now, since there will be a split control of Congress, it's difficult to predict just how the Farm Bill will play out. But there's one climate-friendly farming practice called regenerative agriculture that may have a bipartisan pathway into the bill. Democrats like that it's green, and key Republicans like that it can help make farmers richer. So today we check in with Politico's Garrett Downs about what regenerative agriculture actually is, its bipartisan appeal, and how it might find its way into the Farm Bill. It's Wednesday, November 30th. So Garrett, the Farm Bill is one of the few bipartisan policy opportunities expected next year. And you report that Republicans and Democrats have generally been divided over whether measures to address climate change should be a part of it, but that there could be a path forward. So tell us about that. Democrats and Republicans are divided on climate and the Farm Bill along a lot of the same lines that they are on other places of climate policy, I think. You're going to have a Republican-controlled House that will be writing the House version of the Farm Bill. So the House Agriculture Committee chair is most likely to be a guy named G.T. Thompson. He's a Republican from Pennsylvania. And he's vowed several times that even though he's been leaning into the climate conversation, as he says, that he's not going to allow the Farm Bill to become a climate bill which is something that a lot of folks in the climate ag space have been hoping for. Democrats are more aligned with those groups that want the farm bill to address climate change in a much more serious way. Agriculture is responsible for about 10% of emissions globally, so they'd like to see that cut down. But some climate advocates think they have a way forward, and that way is this method regenerative agriculture. And the reason why these advocates think that they have a way forward here is because farmers that take up these practices save a lot of money when they do it because they don't have to buy as much fertilizer, which is one of the most expensive agriculture inputs right now due to various supply constraints that even tie into the Russian war in Ukraine. Gotcha. And so this concept of regenerative agriculture, what types of farming practices would that encompass? Yeah, so regenerative is really a collection of existing practices that these ideas have been around for a while. But the bottom line with regenerative is that it has to be a practice that will help restore soil health. That's sort of the big catchphrase around regenerative is soil health. And what that means is you're taking carbon that would otherwise be released into the air or is already in the air, and you're putting it back into the ground. And what that does is it naturally restores some of the building blocks that plants need to grow, and you're doing it in a way where you're not using synthetic inputs like fertilizer. So some of the things that do this, the most popular one is definitely this thing called cover cropping, 
that is this system by which you, in between your planting of, say, your principal crop, you're planting something different. And that something different is usually like a leafy green, like a clover. Those plants, their entire goal is to suck carbon out of the air and through the roots, put it back into the ground. There are other methods as well, like one of the other most popular ones is practice called no-till, which basically means that you're just farming without tilling, which is pulling up the ground, releasing all that carbon that's already in the ground out into the air. And then some of the more fun ones are things like rotational grazing when it comes to livestock farms, basically moving cows around so they're not grazing on the same space all the time and eating all the grass and turning it into dry, arid land, and even incorporating livestock into growing operations. So basically, the cows are pooping on the fields, which is putting a whole lot of carbon and nitrogen down onto those fields, and then you're leaving them alone or you're moving that natural matter around to make sure that carbon is absorbed into the soil rather than dumping it into like a lagoon or putting it into a methane digester to make methane gas you're leaving it alone and that's feeding the crops gotcha interesting and as you said some of these practices are happening already and it sounds like the farm bill maybe you could incentivize those practices further so i mean what's your sense of if republicans are kind of starting to consider this and deal on it how do democrats in the Biden administration really view this opportunity in the farm bill and kind of what it represents next year I think the number one thing that Republicans are going to want to see if they're going to allow some additional incentives or additional funding to programs that already exist, like the USDA already has programs that will pay farmers to plant cover crops or to practice no-till. What Republicans are going to want is a guarantee that those programs are going to remain voluntary and that they're never going to become a mandate. But what Democrats will really be looking at, and the USDA is behind them on this as well, is if you start the process, if you get the ball rolling with some additional funding, you get people started on these practices, they're going to find that they're saving a lot of money. You know, what we've heard some Republicans say is farmers are doing this. They like it. Let's keep incentivizing them. And hopefully they'll keep doing it because they're saving money on fertilizer, which is hard to get. And in some cases fraught with all kinds of problems to get. It's not an easy supply chain because the main countries we get fertilizer from, the biggest producers of fertilizer are Russia and Belarus, two heavily sanctioned countries right now. And that drives the price way up and is really hurting farmers' bottom lines. I mean, you're talking double the price of what fertilizer was in years past. Also, on Tuesday, the Treasury Department released its initial guidance about the wage and apprenticeship provisions that companies must comply with in order to earn the full value of the clean energy tax credits under the Inflation Reduction Act. As part of the law, credit values for several incentives increase fivefold for projects that pay workers prevailing wages and employ a certain number of apprentices from registered apprenticeship programs. The new requirements will apply to facilities and projects that begin construction on or after January 29, 2023. For context, the announcement from Treasury provides the first glimpse into how the department will deploy the IRA's broad climate provision. The majority of the legislation's climate investments come through $270 billion in tax incentives, which puts the Treasury Department at the forefront of the law's implementation. 
For more news on energy and the environment, subscribe to our free newsletter at politico.com slash power-switch. And subscribe to Politico Pro to read our morning energy newsletter. Some of the music in today's show was composed by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. I'm Josh Siegel, and we'll see you back tomorrow. This episode is brought to you by Chevron, the human energy company. Did you know that Chevron is working with partners in California to convert the methane from cow waste into renewable natural gas that one day can help fuel trucks across the nation? Find out more at chevron.com slash RNG.